1: I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz, let's get started.
0: Hello, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. We are joined by Rabbi Dove Peretz-Elkins for his presentation, Stories, the Incredible Power of a Story to Change Lives. Dove Peretz-Elkins is a nationally known lecturer, educator, workshop leader, author, and book critic. He's a popular speaker on the Jewish circuit. Rabbi Elkins is a recipient of the National Jewish Book Award and is the author and, or editor of over 60 books. His Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul was on the New York Times bestseller list. Among Rabbi Elkin's other books are The Wisdom of Judaism, An Introduction to the Values of the Talmud, Bialik, Israel's National Poet, The Friendship that Shaped Jewish History, Eddie Jacobson's role in President Harry Truman's recognition of the new state of Israel, A Treasury of Thought on Israel and Zionism, The Battle Between the Menorah and the David the amazing story of Peter Bergson, the hero who tried to save Jews during the Holocaust, all from Mazel Publishers. Rabbi Elkins is the rabbi emeritus at the Jewish Center of Princeton, New Jersey. And he lives in Jerusalem with his wife Miriam and they have six children and 12 grandchildren. Rabbi Elkins, thank you so much for being here today.
1: It's a great pleasure and an honor. I, I think what Rabbi Yankelowitz has done with the Valley Beit Midrash is remarkable. He deserves, he deserves a lot of credit. And I've known him for a long time because he's from Princeton. <laughs> okay. So the topic today is all about stories and how important and vital they are in transmitting Jewish values. If you want to teach children, young people, even adults, about what does Judaism teach us about anything, any important value? How do you do that? Well, uh, I'll give it away that being the co-editor of Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul, I love stories. The Chicken Soup series is all about stories and stories have a tremendous power to influence people's lives. Uh, Over more than a half century, I gave sermons in several synagogues in uh, Rochester, New York, Cleveland, and last, uh, Princeton, New Jersey and years and years after i would deliver a sermon what is it that people would remember about what i said from the pulpit was it the content of the sermon sometimes was it the the moral lesson sometimes but if i told a good story it would stick to the ribs and they'd remember it forever uh, people always remember a good story and that influences their lives, influences their behavior, influences their values, influences everything about them because stories have that power. Now, there's another way to teach and that's through uh, learning laws and that's a very important way to uh, convey Values through law. People read about laws, learn laws, are taught laws. Very significant, but that laws are easily forgotten, and so many people would love to just skip over a law or violate a law, and it doesn't bother them. But a story will stick to your ribs forever, especially a good story. I I love stories, and I've always. Uh, collected stories and I've been influenced by stories and I think everyone that I try to teach uh, I try to teach them mainly through stories rather than through laws Uh, I want to quote to you something that my teacher Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel of blessed memory at the Jewish theological seminary he makes a distinction between halacha which is Jewish law, and agada, legends and law and stories. And here's what Heschel wrote in his book, God in Search of Man. Halacha, Jewish law, represents the strength to shape one's life according to a fixed pattern, is a form giving force. Agada, on the other hand, stories, legends, is the expression of man's. Remember, Heschel lived in the 60s, and, uh, in a time when uh, you didn't say "person," you said "man," and it was not uh, it was not uh, an offensive word. Agada is the expression of man's ceaseless striving, which often defies all limitations. And you see, he begins to make a serious distinction between halacha, Jewish law, and Agadah, <clears throat> Jewish legend or stories. Halacha is the rationalization and schematization of living. It defines, specifies, sets measure and limit, placing life into an exact system. Agada, on the other hand, deals with man's ineffable relations to God, to other men, and to the world. Halakha deals with details, with each commandment separately. Agada, with the whole of life, and with the totality of religious life. Halakha teaches us how to perform common acts. Agada tells us how to participate in the eternal drama. You see the the, the stark contrast which he creates between halakha and agada. obviously he was a proponent as I am of Agada not, not not that not that there isn't a place for Halakha <clears throat> but agada has spiritual power that Halakha sometimes does not. Agada tells us how to participate in the eternal drama. <clears throat> Halakha gives us knowledge. Agada gives us aspiration. Halakha gives us the norms for action. Agada, the vision of the ends of living, the purpose of living. Halakha prescribes. Agada suggests. Halakha decrees. Agadah inspires, Halakha is definite, Agada is elusive. To maintain that the essence of Judaism consists exclusively of Halakha is as erroneous as to maintain that the essence of Judaism consists exclusively of agada. <clears throat> the interrelationship of Halakha and agada is at the very heart of Judaism. Halakha without Agadah is dead. Agadah without Halakha is wild. So I have a very important teacher to back me up. Let's think for a moment, what are the important stories and narratives that propel the, the, the Jewish people over the centuries? There are two main stories that we find in places like the Kiddush we recite on Friday night or the Ten Commandments. Uh, One is the creation story. That's one of the most powerful stories that anybody ever wrote. And people quote it all the time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's a story that won't leave you. It stays with you. It teaches you, it inspires you. It gives you everything you need to understand the world. It was created by God. And the Exodus from Egypt, in the Kiddush we say, Zecher L'maseh Bereshit, and we recite the prayer over the wine in remembrance of Creation. Zecher L'maseh Mitzrayim. And in memory of the going out of Egypt, those are the two powerful stories which never leave a Jew. In every Friday night in Kiddush, in, in recitation of the Ten Commandments, everywhere you turn. Let me re- read to you what Maimonides, the uh, medieval great saint, scholar, teacher, rabbi, halachist. Uh, wrote about, st- about uh, the uh, story of creation. Of course, it's the centerpiece of Pesach, the Haggadah. What the Haggadah means is that the story. Haggadah is a story. The story of how we came out of Egypt influences the whole world, influenced the, 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 the Black people in the 20th century. And ma- any oppressed people is inspired by the story of the Exodus from Egypt. So here's what the Rambam, way back in the uh, 12th century, writes: It is a positive commandment, mitzvah, say in the Torah to recount, meaning to tell, to tell the story of the miracles, the wonders. For our ancestors in Egypt on the night of the 15th of Nisan. Whoever recounts at great length the events which took place is worthy of praise. No no less a a scholar than the Rambam himself, Maimonides. Let me bring you a few more modern quotations uh, of. uh, What is said about stories and these I think really come to the essence of what the power of a story is. Muriel Rukeyser says the universe is made up of stories, not of atoms. Imagine the universe is made up not of atoms, but of stories, isn't that remarkable. Isaac Beshevis Singer, the famous Yiddish writer, says this. When a day passes, it's no longer there. What remains of it? Nothing more than a story. Today we live, but by tomorrow, today will be like the beasts, only for the day. Today we live, but by tomorrow, today will be a story. The whole world, all human life is one long story. and finally a protestant theologian from harvard university harvey cox all human beings have an innate need to hear and tell stories and to have a story to live by religion whatever else it has done has provided one of the main ways of meeting this abiding need Uh, Judaism provides us with a wealth of stories. Uh, If people want to look further, uh, I I have two books I edited of stories, Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul has 100 wonderful stories. And a follow-up to that book was uh, Jewish Stories from Heaven and Earth, another 100 stories, Uh, great, great stories. I also would Commend to your attention a collection by Chaim Nachman Bialik, the national poet of Israel, <clears throat> um, Sefer HaAgada, the Book of Legends, a wonderful, wonderful book of maybe a thousand pages, and it's translated into beautiful English. He wrote it. He, he wrote it in Hebrew. Uh, wonderful book, Sefer HaAgada, the Book of Legends, by Chaim Nachman Bialik. And there are many other books I could recommend. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a couple of stories from a little later than the biblical period, from the Talmud, which have had enormous impact on Jewish life, on everybody who knows these stories. These are world-class, famous, world-famous stories, wonderful stories. One story is about a guy named Nachshon Ben Aminadav, The story is that when the Jews were leaving Egypt and the Egyptian army was behind them and the sea was in front of them, they were caught in the middle and didn't know what to do and what happened. One person, Nachshon ben Adav, stepped into the water until it came up to his mouth, his nostrils, and and he, he was, breathing the water and that enabled god to say okay you win i'll split the sea and the waters of the of the sea parted and the people were able to cross through and the point of the story is there's always one nachshon ben aminadav to put his foot into the water and start off a process which changes the world uh, The lesson is be a hero, be brave, be courageous, put your foot into the water, be a Nachshon, and change the world because you started something important off. So whoever knows that story will be inspired and courageous for the rest of their life. What a powerful story that is. Lots of stories about King David. But one I'll mention, which I think is... uh, uh, very, very significant from a moral standpoint. Uh, King David wanted to build a house for God's presence, Beit mikdash the house of, uh, of holiness for God's uh, Shechina, His presence, but he wasn't allowed to. And why wasn't he allowed to? Because he was a man of war, and he had blood on his hands and a man who has blood on his hands was not permitted by God to build the Beit HaMikdash. So it went to his son Solomon who built the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, What does that tell you about the Jewish approach to war? It's not desirable. You do anything possible to avoid war. Remembering King David was denied the greatest privilege he wanted to, and he had to pass it down to King, to his son Solomon, to build the Beit HaMikdash. <clears throat> it always will inspire you to uh, think of the evils that war brings. And we know what the, the war that's, that's happening in our world. In this year between Russia and Ukraine, how many lives have been lost senselessly, foolishly, mercilessly, piteously, Russian lives and and Ukrainian lives. What a terrible, terrible shame uh, that Mr. Putin has uh, launched upon the world. So King David is the model. He had blood on his hands. And uh, anybody who is a warrior, sometimes it's necessary and important, but there are limits on such a person. We, we, we hate war and all the evils it brings in its train. How about the story of Yochanan ben Zakkai, a very famous rabbi, when the Romans destroyed the uh, city of Jerusalem, the kingdom of Judea, The Holy Temple. Terrible times. It could have been the end of the Jewish people. One person did something miraculous and saved Judaism for for the future. Yochanan Ben Zakai. What did he do? He pretended to be dead, put him in a coffin, and his servants carried him out of the city. And when he got out of the city alive, he got out of the coffin and he built a school, a a community called Yavne, and that community of Yavne was enabled Judaism to survive. One person, what a fabulous, powerful story, who saved Judaism just because he had a, a innovative, amazing, creative idea to sneak out in a coffin outside of the destroyed city. And first thing he did was create a school so that Judaism could survive. Uh, Another story from the Talmud. This is one of my very, very favorite favorite stories. Story about a rabbi named Shimon Ben Shetach. You should Google him. Read all about him. Here's, here's the very brief story. Uh, he sent his servants to go to an Arab and buy a donkey. Servants went. They bought the donkey. They brought it back to Shimon ben Shetach, Master, look what we've done. We bought brought you the donkey just as you asked us to. And guess what? It's got a, a jewel around its neck and the, guess what the guy we bought it from he didn't know he didn't know he was selling us a donkey and a jewel around his neck Ha! well we pulled a fast one over him and what did shimon ben shetach say he said oh no 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 you can't do that that's that's lying and cheating you go back to that Arab and you give him back his jewel. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You don't steal. Jews don't steal. Oh, the servants were so embarrassed. They brought it back to the Arab and gave him his jewel. And what did the Arab say? Oh, you'll, I hope you'll never forget this. God bless the God. Of Shimon ben Shetach. What did he mean? He means this guy is so devoted to his God, who teaches him morality, justice, fairness, not to steal, not not to rip off an innocent person. Give that guy back his uh, his jewel. What a wonderful story. Uh, I could tell you a hundred times, thou shalt not steal. And maybe you'll remember it, maybe you'll follow it, maybe you won't, but keep in mind what Shimon Ben Shetach did and said, and you'll have a a moral standard in your life forever. Um, Let me jump ahead to modern times. This is a story I heard from a friend. He was in a nightclub in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is mostly a secular city, not particularly uh, observant of Jewish ritual. And it was Hanukkah time. He's sitting drinking his beer or wine or whatever and uh, with his friends having a merry old time and suddenly the lights go out and the bartender lights up a Chanukiah and recites the blessing over the, 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 the Hanukkah menorah, And everybody in the room joins in with the, the blessings and the songs, Maos and all the other Khanukkah songs. Now, you know, what people say about Tel Aviv and about the state of Israel? <laughs> Bunch of secular Jews, they're not religious. They have, they have no uh, connection to their past, their history, their ritual, their observance. Oh, really? There's a person sitting in a secular bar in Tel Aviv and all of a sudden when the lights go out and the bartender insists on reciting the Hanukkah blessings. Uh, well, that, that'll set you straight if you think Israel is a secular country and that's no religion. It just isn't true. And uh, most, most Jewish homes, if nothing else, light candles on Friday night and have a Passover Seder and they speak Hebrew and they do all kinds of things, which many American Jews don't do. So it, it teaches a, a very important lesson that you'll, you'll be very careful about what you say about Israel in the future if you know if you hear that story. Um, here's a personal story that I experienced, <clears throat> and this tells you also a lot about uh, the, the Hasidic population, especially in Jerusalem. I'm. Uh, Not a youngster anymore. I'm in my eighties, and when I come home from the suit from the shuk from the market, I'm carrying a very heavy uh, package of uh, groceries, and I'm huffing and puffing and walking very slowly. And some teenage chassid walks over to me and and says to me in Hebrew, "Adoni efsor zor." Sir, can I give you a hand? Do you need some help? <laughs> I said, Oh my God, you God must have sent you huffing and puffing, carrying this package of groceries. I said, Well, you can you know take it as far as you wish. You don't have to go all the way to my home. He whooped me right to my door with the package of groceries. And of course, he wouldn't take, I I knew he wouldn't take any money, but I took out my wallet and gave him some coins. And I said, please just give this to Tzedakah on your next opportunity. And thank you so much. God bless you, you did a great mitzvah. Where, where did this little teenage Jew, Chesed, learn to do that? In his Beit Midrash, in his yeshiva. Um, so if you have conceptions about what yeshivas are and what they teach in their schools Uh, just remember this thing that happened to me it was uh, an amazing amazing story that I repeat and tell others over and over Um, let me tell you a couple of stories that are contained in this book, Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul. These are some of my really favorite stories. Um, You know, uh, Jews have a great sense of humor. Think about the the funniest people you can think of in the 20th century. And guess what? Mostly all Jews, Groucho 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 Marx, Milton Burrell, Mel Brooks, Jack Benny, Henny Youngman, Jerry Lewis, Jackie Mason, Woody Allen, Jerry Seinfeld, Joan Rivers, and on and on and on. Most of the comedians in the 20th century are Jewish people. Well, here's a little cute story uh, that George Burns wrote in his autobiography, which is in my book. Unlike my father, my mother was a very practical lady. Nothing ever frustrated her. No matter what the problem was, she knew how to handle it. Perfect example happened when I was seven years old. I was singing with three other Jewish kids from the neighborhood. We called ourselves the Pee Wee Quartet. Now, there was a big department store, Siegel and Cooper, that threw an annual picnic. And the highlight was an amateur contest with talent representing all the churches in New York. Right around the corner from where we live is a little Presbyterian church. How it got in that neighborhood, I'll never know. It certainly didn't do big business. Well, they had no one to enter in the contest. So the minister asked us four kids to represent the church. We jumped at the chance. So that Sunday, there we were, the Pee Wee Quartet, four Jewish boys, sponsored by a Presbyterian church. And our opening song was, When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. We followed that with mother McCree and we won first prize. The church got a purple velvet altar cloth and each of us kids got an Ingersoll watch which was worth about 85 cents, a lot in those days. Well, I was so excited. I ran all the way home to tell my mother when I got there she was on the roof hanging out the wash. I rushed up to her and I said, mama, I don't want to be a Jew anymore. If this shocked her, she certainly didn't show it. She just looked at me and calmly said, do you mind my asking why? Well, I said, I've been a Jew for seven years and never got anything. I was a Presbyterian for one day and I got a watch. And I held out my wrist and showed it to her. She glanced at it and said, first, help me hang up the wash and then you can be a Presbyterian. While I was hanging up the wash, Some water ran down my arm and got inside my watch. It stopped running. So I became a Jew again. (laughs) Great, great humor, George Burns. Here's another one of my favorites that is very, very short. My Bubby, may she rest in peace, was one sharp lady. If she'd been born in a different time and place she could have been president of the united states or so the world's greatest stand-up comedian bubby picked up the telephone one day to call my aunt it was not a long distance call just an ordinary call from chelsea to wakefield but something happened this was back when nixon had nominated henry kissinger to be his secretary of state and the u.s senate was holding confirmation hearings bubby this call got connected into someone else's line. Remember those uh, two lines that were connected on one phone in those days in the 40s and 50s? Two men were having a conversation about Kissinger, and Bobby was listening in. Yes, he was from Germany, but still, he's a Jew. And you know those Jews wasn't it awful that we're going to have a Jew for a Secretary of State? Bubby says into the telephone, so what's wrong with that? Answer comes back, who is this? This is Kissinger's mother. And my Bubby hung up. I always wonder what those guys must have thought. Uh, one of my also Favorite favorite stories is about Sholom Aleichem, the wonderful humorist, about whom Fiddler on the Roof is uh, is uh, created. And I'm just going to read you some excerpts of this story, which was sent to me <clears throat> by the grandfather granddaughter of Sholom Aleichem. No other grandfather was like mine. No other grandfather was so youthful, funny, and full of impish pranks with us kids. What other grandfather would conspire with us to mix up the guests' overshoes in the hallway or show us how to walk on our hands when the tenant below complained of footsteps from our uncarpeted floor or teach us to speak in rhymes or invent a secret language just for us that the world which knows him as Sholem Aleichem, the famous writer, does not share skipping over it a little bit though he was loved and cherished in thousands of homes and read aloud to the sound of laughter he suffered grave illness excruciating pain exile and heartbreak yet to the end he wrote humor for others from his first literary effort at the age of 14 when he compiled a glossary of stepmother's curses in which he arranged in alphabetical order the daily curses his stepmother lavished upon him to his last work, left unfinished by his death, called Muttle the Cantor's Son in America. Of all his stories, this is my favorite. When little Muttle finds himself in America, he expresses his delight at its marvels. Chewing gum, he explains, is a candy made of rubber. And teachers in America are not allowed to whip their children. Try not to love such a country, he says. Shalom died on May 12A. Why 12A? He was superstitious. <clears throat> Never wanted his manuscript pages numbered 13, but 12A. Um, and skipping... Toward the end of the story which you can read in the book it's awesome to realize that i'm now since my sister tamara's death sholmelechem's only living descendant who knew him heard his voice sat on his lap and who he used to tell me when i was little helped him write by holding on tightly to his hand as we walked together It was only after I grew up that I understood my grandfather's gift was a far more valuable one than a make-believe present of a lake in Switzerland. He left a legacy of love and laughter, love for the common people and laughter in the face of adversity. Try not to love such a grandfather. Um, You know who wrote that story? sent it to me so it could appear in Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul. The lady since passed away maybe about two or three years ago, at uh, 103, her name was Belle Kaufman. Some of you will recognize the name of Belle Kaufman, granddaughter of Sholom Aleichem, because she was an author in her own right. And she wrote a best-selling book in English, Up the Down Staircase. She was a teacher in, in, in the Bronx. A wonderful, wonderful lady. And there's so many many other stories that I could tell. Uh, so I'm explaining the importance of stories. There's no better way to um, convey values than through a story. Uh, let me tell you, maybe one or two more and then we'll open up for questions. <clears throat> uh, this is during the Holocaust and uh, a Jewish couple had a, a young child and they knew that time was short, the Nazis were gonna come and take them away and what would happen to their little son and they went to a Christian neighbor, and they asked, the, told the, the neighbor, that our lives are, are going to be lost, and Nazis are going to take us away, and uh, we'll be in the gas chambers. So would you please take our son and raise him? You can save the Catholic if you have to, do whatever you can, just to save his life. And they... That's what happened. The couple burned in the gas chamber in the Holocaust, and then the Christian family um, baptized him, brought him up as a Catholic. When he became a teenager, uh, they weren't sure what to do because the Jewish parents had made them promise to one day take their children to Chicago where their relative lived so he could be brought up as a Jew. So the family was really perplexed. We brought him up as a Catholic, he was baptized, but yet we made this promise to the Jewish parents, what are we going to do? So they went to the local parish priest and asked him, here's our dilemma. And the Jewish parents, uh, promised, uh, made us promise that they would, uh, uh, we would bring him up uh, however we want, but someday take him to Chicago and let him be brought up by, by his family as a Jew. And guess what the Catholic priest said? You know, it's a very serious thing to take the child who was baptized. <clears throat> I mean, you can't take that away from a Catholic. If you're a Catholic, you're a Catholic. And if you're baptized, there's nothing you can do to undo that. But the Catholic priest said to the, par- to the step-parents, you made a promise to this Jewish family, take the child to Chicago and let him be brought up by his family as a Jew. And that's what they did. I can almost cry telling that story. But there's another ending to the story. You know who that Catholic priest became? Later in life, Pope John Paul II. That's the wonderful thing about this wonderful Pope and what he did as a young parish priest. He gave sound advice. And this has so much about the possibilities of Catholic Jewish relations and what our Catholic and Protestant and Hindu and uh, Muslim neighbors can do if there's honesty and sincerity and and a desire for justice and truth. These are the possibilities. These are the things that stories can do to change your life. If the story sticks to your ribs and becomes part of you and you live according to the narratives which you were taught through religion and Judaism. So I think we'll end with that for now, and uh, open up for some questions. We have another 10 or 15 minutes. So please, uh, Alex, call on somebody, and let's go.
0: Sounds good, thank you so much, Rabbi Elkins. Um, yes, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, feel free to raise your hands and um, I can call on people and you can unmute. Hi, Joan. Sorry, it's a comment. Your story about the one man who walked
2: into the Red Sea and so God opened the sea, reminded me completely of the movie Horton Hears a Who, where everyone was going to boil that dust back and destroy everyone in Whoville but that one elephant kept insisting that there were who's in that dustbeck. So it just reminded me.
1: What's the name of the, of the
2: movie? Horton Hears a Who? It's oh, a Dr. Horton. Seuss story. Ah, Horton So Horton in the Horton Dr. Horton. Seuss story, he hears this whole world in the dustbeck because he's an elephant, so he has big ears. And everyone thinks that Horton is crazy. So they're going to boil the dust back just to punish Horton for being crazy. But the tiniest little who, the littlest, tiniest who, let out a peep. And everyone, the peep broke through the dust. And everyone heard the peep. And then then everyone could hear the the who's yelling. We're here. We're here. We are here. We are here. And Whoville was saved because of the one elephant and the tiniest little hoop.
1: Well, and that's the power that each of us has. And it can be called up by remembering a story. That's what stories do to us. They change our values, change our behavior, change our whole being. Thank you.
0: Thank you, John. you. Hi, Aglea.
3: Okay, so I'm going to try to tell this story the fast way though, but to, you know, like um, also piggybacking off of Janie's comment. So when I was, um, one semester I was teaching Louisiana history and Louisiana is one of the most annoying states in the union, I know. But anyway, the, the short version of the story is I started off with students who were just kind of like, who cares? I'm taking this class for a grade at the beginning of the semester. And we were talking about how Louisiana is just, over, you know, underestimated. So I went through the semester basically teaching them the you know general stuff that you learn about Louisiana with you know some extra stuff added in. And then I said, we're gonna end the semester with something weird. Now, there was a movie, an independent film, that no one thought would have been successful. No one would have thought this, but it was a Louisiana film with first-time actors, a director no one had ever heard of, a screenwriter no one had ever heard of, and then it goes on. It's about Louisiana people during Hurricane Katrina, and then it goes on and wins the camera door at the Pecan Film Festival, and it gets nominated for an Academy Award. So then I just said to the students at the end of class, well, what about your story? Are you sure your story should be underestimated or are there a lot of things in this story that you just saw in this movie that could be valuable for basically everyone and they just looked at me like why did you You just did this to us now we can't think about it the same way so that's my particular story about why you know piggybacking on Janie and also everything we've heard today
1: thank you thank you there's so many stories like that. There's so many wonderful people. And you know what? Each one of us could be a naqshim uh, or or one of the people or an elephant or, you know, uh, the one creature or individual who can make a difference and change the world. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Hi Janie. Hi, Janie. Hi. Um, I what I what I wrote in, in chat, thank you very much for noticing that, um, is that I was a teacher for 58 years. And um the only way that you can successfully teach is through story. Um, if you go through any children's section in a the library, they're all stories. Um uh-huh. and if you if you Try, I also taught university level. And if you expect them to learn um, anything, whether it's biology, history, math, uh, by just telling them or having them read about it, it won't stick very long. But um, there are fabulous books about biology where the kids get into a little school bus and they go through the body or they go out into space. It's a story and the kids remember that. They never forget the details of that story because it's it's uh, told in a way that is compatible, I think, with the human brain and with the soul. And that's what story is. So if you wanna teach anybody anything, make it in the context of a story.
1: (laughs) Good for you. Thank you for reinforcing my message today, beautifully. (laughs) And remember how I started out my talk uh, today about uh, people who remembered my sermons. They remember the stories that I told. That's right. They may not remember the exact content or every detail of the sermon. But if I told a good story to reinforce it, and illustrate my point, that they'll carry with them forever. And it'll have a very powerful impact on them. Yeah. Thank you. It's thank so you, fun. Janie.
0: Well, we can uh, wrap up a bit early then. Give everyone 10 minutes back of your day. Uh, thank you so much, Rabbi Elkins, for joining us today and for those amazing stories. Um, it was a pleasure to have you here. And I also want to thank our co host for today's event at uh, Rodef Shalom in Denver. And uh, just to let everyone know, our next event will be next Thursday on July 6th at 1 p.m. Pacific. Um, we will be hearing from Dr. Aaron Leidenhaft on George Washington's Vine and Fig Tree, Micah 44, and the Religious Character of the American Republic. So I hope you can all join us for that as well. And thank you again for being here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Bait Midrash podcast. Remember
1: that you can join our email list at valleybaitmadrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeatmadrashorg donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.